Uh, I want us to understand this morning, as, we, as we've been thinking about grace, and as we're thinking about uh, the cross this morning, um, that we're talking about a person. Uh, we're talking about Jesus himself, the person of Jesus Christ. Um, it is so important that we understand that the Christian life is all about Jesus. And I know that's a really obvious and clear truth, um, but it's essential because so often we can just forget about Christ. In the midst of all the Christian activity, we can forget Jesus. And so as a foundation this morning, as we think about the cross and how the cross really has changed everything, remember we're thinking about the person uh, of Jesus. The danger is we don't keep the main thing the main thing. Um, when it comes to following Jesus, we get so caught up with the activities that surround Christianity. We lose sight of Christ himself. It becomes about practice rather than person. The what before the why, the details get in the way of God himself. Um, and so let me say, this is tempting for each one of us, especially if we are in ministry, if we're involved in Christian activity, if we're involved in serving in some way. Our whole focus is on this, this to-do list, this these things we need to focus on and do and achieve and fulfill and we forget the why. Why are we doing this? Who is it for? It's for Christ. It's for Jesus. Um, as we start this series, your cross changes everything. Um, I want as a foundation to invite you to a place where you really do see that it's all about Jesus. Um, this Jesus, God incarnate, really was someone who lived. He was someone who breathed, who got hungry, who ate drank, celebrated, walked, slept, preached, taught, healed, played, hugged, served, wept, challenged, buked, encouraged, spoke, listened, blessed, hid, fished, met, invited, loved, was betrayed, suffered, died and came back to life. And all of this he did not sin. This is a Jesus that we worship. And all of this, it points us to the fact that he is real. This points to his humanity. It points us to the fact that this is someone that we can connect to. Um, he meets us today in the midst of all the crazy that's going on in our lives. Jesus, the person of Jesus Christ, meets us today and can make a real difference in each one of our hearts. The challenges and the blessings of life then become opportunities for us to know Jesus Christ. We get to experience his love firsthand when there's mountaintop moments, when there's blessings, but also when there's real hardship and difficulty. It's a love that changes us. It's a love that completely transforms us. God loves us. God works in us in all of the situations and seasons of life. The writer to the Hebrews uh, directs us towards this incredible truth about Jesus in chapter 4 and verse 15. And it'll be up on the screen. Uh, the writer to the Hebrews says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. So we have a high priest who we can relate to. He has been tempted. God himself was tempted in every way that we are, and yet he did not sin. So this tells me that Jesus really is relatable. So understand this morning that he understands. He understands us. He understands our celebrations. He understands our hardships. He understands our temptations. He understands everything that we go through in our life. Why? Because he lived and breathed on this earth. He is our high priest who left the comfort of heaven to dwell amongst us. 
God has first-hand experience of what it's like to be human. He fully and completely was one. So this needs to be a foundation. As we think of the cross, we need to understand that we worship Jesus, who is fully human and fully God. And he understands, he has experienced all that we have went through, and yet he did not sin. Uh, we've been singing this song together, Your Cross Changes Everything. Uh, and this is what we're going to be looking at as we think of the chorus of this song. The chorus is basically going to be a preaching plan for the next four weeks. <clears throat> so the chorus says, a cross that changes everything. So this is what we're looking at this week. A cross that changes everything. And then the next week, a love that sets the captives free. TJ is going to be taking time to unpack the words of Jesus and look for in verses 16 to 21, which really points to this truth. Um, a hope that's resurrecting me. We'll be thinking about the relationship between the cross and the resurrection. In particular, we're going to be feeding off of First Peter chapter 1 and verses 3 to 5. And the power of God for all who believe. So we're going to be taking time to look at how at the heart of the cross is the gospel. And at the heart of the gospel is the power of God. Romans 1, 16 to 17 is going to be so helpful for us in that. So a cross that changes everything you know we can sing this and not really mean it you know we can sing and sing and sing and not really grasp and understand what this is all about a cross that changes everything really you know is that true for you this morning has a cross really changed everything in your life if a cross has changed everything for you then why do we feel so often overwhelmed by life? If the cross changes everything, why do we find it so hard to live the Christian life? If the cross changes everything, why has it not reached your face yet? You know, often we can just look, just, we don't have any joy in our lives. Our faces have not yet experienced that joy. We need to be shining Jesus and we shine Jesus in all that we say and who we are when we understand the reality of the cross. The question I'm asking this morning is, why do so many Christians look like the cross hasn't changed anything at all? Maybe that's a bit harsh, but we can so often look like the world. We can just so often be connected to what the world is doing and the attitudes and hearts and priorities of the world that we look no different. And the cross just becomes just this kind of mental affirmation of, of what Jesus has done. But it's not in our hearts. Often, if we have this attitude, then Christianity is all about survival rather than thriving. But should it be like this? Should we just be surviving or should we be thriving in the Christian life, full of joy, experiencing his goodness every day? So I'm here to say this morning that it shouldn't be like this. And it shouldn't be like this based upon what we read in Romans 7 and verses 1 to 6, which is our passage this morning. So if you have your Bibles... You can turn with me to this passage. The words are going to be up on the screen as well. We're just going to look at it verse by verse. <clears throat> I'm reading from the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible. And if you want a paper copy, there's some up at the back there as well. Um, so let's just begin by looking at this, this passage. And this passage, really what I'm trying to do here is, is help you to see that the cross really has changed everything for us. And if we have an attitude, a life that doesn't point towards that, then I would encourage you during your week to meditate. Upon these words from Romans 7 and verses 1 to 6. 
So Paul says in verse 1, um, Since I am speaking to those who know the law, brothers and sisters, don't you know that the law rules over someone as long as he lives? So Paul here speaks of the law. So what is the law? Uh, the law is the commandments of God. The standard that God has set for humanity. So God has said, this is what I expect from humanity and this is the law that communicates that. And so humanity responds accordingly. So for people to be right with God, they need to fulfill the law. They need to fulfill the whole law, all of the commandments of God, all of the time. There needs to be perfection here. It's a combination of the Ten Commandments and the different instructions that you find in the first five books of the Old Testament. And Paul says here in this verse that for every person, the law rules over that person. So we all started our lives in a place where the law ruled over us. We had this kind of internal instinct as to what is right and wrong. We all know what's right and we know what's wrong. And it's because the law is written on our hearts. It rules over each one of us in the sense that if we break the law, we break God's commandment, we commit what the Bible says is sin. It's a breaking of God's standard for us. We choose to go our own way rather than God's way, which goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. And we're ruled by this. We can't help but follow this pattern of life. And that's because it's not just something we do, it's something inside us. It's a condition that exists within our hearts. It's who we are as people. We are lawbreakers. We are sinners. And in verses 2 to 3, uh, Paul continues with this idea of being ruled by the law. And he uses a picture of a husband and wife to unpack this a bit more for us. So let's just take a moment to look at verses 2 to 3 in our passage. Paul says, so basically he's just said the law rules over us. And in verse 2, for example, a married woman is legally bound to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law regarding the husband. So then, if she is married to another man while her husband is living, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. Then, if she is married to another man, she is not an adulteress. So Paul says, just as the law rules over us, the picture here is of a husband having spiritual authority over a wife. So he creates these two pictures for us just to understand both of these ideas. And Paul underlines here that it doesn't matter what the wife does, she's still under her husband's authority in a spiritual sense. Even if she was to marry someone else, she would still be married to this original husband. In the same way, it doesn't matter if we decide in our hearts to break free from the law, to do our own thing, to, to kind of make up our own law within our lives. We're still under the law. Nothing can separate us from the law. Unless, unless, and this is a key part, a death takes place. If the husband dies, then the wife is free. And understand, uh, this is less about marriage and it's more about us and the law. What Paul is getting at here is really helping us to understand the connection between us and the law. And the impression you get from what Paul has written is that what he's about to say is something significant. It's like he's building up and he's building up and he's building up to something. 
And it's very easy for us to think from these words here that he's about to say that the law is going to die, or the law has died, or the law would die. But he doesn't do that at all. In fact, if he was to say that, he would be contradicting the words of Jesus in Matthew 24, 35. Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So the law will never die. It's important we understand this. Instead, Paul says something revolutionary in verse 4, um, which will be up on the screen for us. Paul says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, you also were put to death in relation to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another. You belong to him who was raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. So this, this is essential for us to understand. If, if we don't understand this, then we won't understand the significance of the cross and how the, cro- the cross really has changed everything for us. So imagine, this is a law, okay? Imagine this is a law and this is each one of us. Um, the Bible says that the law and each one of us are married together, okay? The law and us are married together. Now, we need to know some important things about the law. Um, it constantly has authority over us. It always shows us where we've went wrong. It never lifts a finger to help us. And it's always right and we're married to the law for life. So that's quite a husband we've got. He never helps and he always makes us feel guilty. Now, Paul says that when we decide to believe in Jesus, we die to the law through the body of Christ and we rise and belong to him. So when we believe, when we repent of our sin and we believe and trust in Jesus, we die. The law is still there, but we die to the law and we rise with Christ. And so we belong to Jesus rather than the law. We're no longer living for the law, we're living for Jesus. We're no longer under the authority of the law. We're under the authority of Christ. We're in Christ. God the Father looks on us and he sees God the Son. The law has no say over your life. Only Jesus. It's only the truth of the cross. So we die to the law and we are connected. We belong to Christ. So the law can say whatever it wants, but it's Christ who we listen to. It's Christ who we follow. It's Christ who we pursue. Everything in your life is now characterised, fueled, and flavoured by grace. It's not characterised, fueled, flavoured by a whole list of commands, a whole list of things that we need to do. It's all of grace. We are no longer under the authority of the law. Terry Virgo paints a helpful picture and a powerful analogy of the relationship that we now have with the law when we are in Christ. So Terry says, imagine a soldier who has enlisted in Her Majesty's forces for an agreed period. Uh, During this time, he is subjected to all of the rigours and discipline of military training. He is under authority. Orders must be obeyed meticulously. But the day comes when his agreed term is completed. He is discharged. On that very day, he strolls carelessly across the parade ground, a free man. Suddenly the sergeant major turns the corner and sees him. Horrified at the sight of a slovenly soldier, he orders him to return, head up, shoulders back and stand before him at attention. 
At first, the ex-soldier cringes at a familiar cry, but then remembers he is discharged. Cheerio, Sarge, he waves. Let the sergeant major become ever so red in the face. Let the veins stand out ever so prominently on his neck. It's of no consequence. He cannot command the discharged soldier anymore. We are discharged from the law. It is essential for us to constantly recognise our death to the law. It is no longer the basis of our relationship with God and never will be. So the law can shout as much as it wants and it can accuse us and condemn us. But if we are in Christ this morning, then we are discharged from the law. We are free men and women, free to live for Jesus. Let's be honest. As we assess our own lives, as we assess those around us, more often than not, this is not how Christians live today. We've been discharged, yes, but so often we still believe that we are under the authority of this sergeant of the law. And what this does on a practical level is one whereby our Christian life starts to consist of keeping a bunch of rules. If we are in Christ but still listening to the law, then we're just following rules, obeying a bunch of commands, doing a lot of Christian stuff. And it's not about relationship with Jesus. It's all about just doing these things so that we feel less guilty about ourselves. When you live by grace and not the law, it brings about real change. So it doesn't change the commands of God, but it changes how we approach these commands. Our heart moves from, I have to do this, to I get to do this. And Jesus loves me, and I love Jesus, and so I get to live for him. It's no longer, I should, I probably should do this, you know. It's, it's really hard for me to do, and I, I'm going to do it on my own strength, but, you know, I'm, I'm going to do it because I don't want to feel guilty or convicted. No, it's nothing like that at all. It's, you know, I get to. I get to pursue Christ with all that I am. I love God with all that I am. And because I love God with all that I am, then I'm going to live for him and obey him in every aspect of my life. When we mess up, our response is running to God rather than running from God. If we mess up in our lives, then we, we need to know this. We, we run to him and we say, God, I'm sorry. We don't run from him. If we sin, we can often say to God, I'm going to give you two days where we don't talk to each other and then I'm going to come back. And over those two days, I'm going to prove just how good I am. And that's the opposite of the Christian faith. We're not scared of God. We're completely dependent upon him. You know, I saw this photo this week. It really summarises uh, what I mean by that. Uh, religion says, I messed up. My dad is going to kill me. The gospel says, I messed up. I need to call my dad. That's, this is what we're getting at. It's, it's not about being afraid of God in terms of this kind of fear of condemnation. It's about recognising that God is sovereign and God is loving and he wants to help us in our weakness. God knows how weak we are and he wants to strengthen our hearts. Just as a side note, for any parents who are here this morning, if you're living as a gospel dad or a gospel mum, what I mean by that is that the gospel is at the very heart of your parenting, then when your children mess up, they will respond in the second way rather than the first way. They will run to you rather than run from you. So do you see, there's a very subtle difference here, but it is so powerful. 
And it really does change who we are. Because we can be walking into church on a Sunday, having the attitude of the first line, and yet God calls us to have the attitude of the second line, one in which we say constantly, I need to call my dad, I need to call my dad, I need to call my dad. We're turning to him. It's relationship before rule keeping. It's love before law. It's making sure the why is right before we start to live out the what. This is what can so often happen. You know, someone can become a Christian. They feel liberated, transformed, renewed. And then someone who has been a Christian for a long time comes along and says, I hear you became a Christian. They reply, yep, it's amazing. I'm, I'm so pleased. It's the best decision I've made in my life. And this older Christian says, wow, praise God, that's great. I'm so happy for you. Now that you're a Christian, remember, this is really important, remember you need to read your Bible every day. So when you're Christians, like, okay, read my Bible every day. Remember you need to pray every day. That's so important. So, okay, pray every day. Remember you need to go to church every Sunday. Okay, so we need to go to church every Sunday. Remember you need to attend the midweek meeting. That's important. So, midweek meeting. Remember as well you need to, you can't swear can't swear anymore, okay? And remember to give money, so you need to, to sacrifice in some way. So this new believer's thinking, wow, I feel so free at the moment. I'm, I'm carrying all these commands. I feel so overwhelmed by these expectations of these believers. What's happening in this moment when, when this new believer is carrying all this expectation and all these commands? What's happening is they're doing a bunch of Christian stuff. It's not about a love for God. It's about, okay, I ought to do this, not I get to do this. Let me show you a better, a more biblical way. It's one where this new believer says with all that they are, God, I love you, and because I love you, I want to spend time in prayer. I want to do that every day because I love you. God, I love you, and because I love you, I want to meditate upon your word. I want to rest in your word and be strengthened by your word every single day. God, I love you, and because I love you, I want to spend time with my brothers and sisters in Christ. God, I love you, and because I love you, I want to give this percentage of my monthly earnings to the church. We obey in light of what God has already done. We don't obey in order that, in order that he might do something for us. Subtle difference and such a powerful difference. It's all about our love for God, the greatest commandment, the why before the what. And this is only ever possible in the power that God provides, which is what we read in verses 5 to 6. So Paul writes in verse 5, For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions aroused through the law were working in us to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law, since we have died to what held us, so that we may serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the old letter of the law. So, when we face temptation in our day, when we realise or when we work out what it is that we need to do to please God and to put him first, our go-to is not, it never should be, I have to do this, I can't do that, or I'm gonna really try, I'm gonna try really hard here. Our go-to is Spirit of the Living God, fall afresh on me, take me, melt me, mould me, fill me. Spirit of a living God, fall afresh on me. 
This and only this is how we serve Jesus. A complete reliance upon God's Spirit. This is a freedom that God calls us to. A life in the Spirit. A life in light of his sacrifice on the cross for us. So Paul, he talks about what God has done for us. And he also talks about what our lives will then look like. And this is what he does throughout the book of Romans. He's, he's talking about the essence of Christ's sacrifice for us. And then the consequence for a practical life that should result. But for us today, we've not fully grasped all that Christ has done for us. All that Christ has given to us. And if we don't fully grasp all that Christ has done for us, then we're not going to live accordingly. If we understand Christ and who he is and what he has done, then we will live our lives accordingly. You know, I see how Christians are today, today and then I read passages in the Bible, and there's so often this difference, this distinction between biblical truth and Christianity in 2019. So I'm just going to show three different examples of what our lives will look like if we start to unpack and apply Romans 7 and verses 1 to 6. If we understand all that Christ has done for us, then we should see practical evidence of this. And, and these three examples point to what our lives will look like day to day. So the first example is from Romans 5 uh, and verse 17. So Paul says, Since by one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, speaking of Jesus, how much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So Paul's very clear from this passage. If we repent of our sin, if we believe in him, if we truly understand all that he has done for us, then we will reign in life. Reign, we'll overcome, we'll flourish, we'll thrive in our lives. Look a bit further down in this letter, Romans 8, 37. Again, it's up on the screen for us. Paul writes, Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So we're not just conquerors, we're more than conquerors. Is it a picture of your life? Are you reigning in life, full of the Spirit and living for Jesus wholeheartedly? Are you more than a conqueror? Do you find yourself just overcoming all of the challenges and obstacles? Take a moment to look at 2 Corinthians 2, 14. Uh, Paul writes to the church in Corinth, but thanks be to God, who always leads us in Christ's triumphal procession and through us spreads the aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. So notice it says always, not sometimes, occasionally, more often than not, more than likely, it says always. God always leads us to triumph, to victory. When we live in grace, when we live in the spirit, when we live under the truth of the cross, then this is the life that results. It really points us towards the transformation that God wants to give us and it's not based upon anything that we do. Now Christians can get scared about looking at verses like these because they can think that if they talk in this kind of language, if we started to say that we are reigning in life, being more than a conqueror, always being led in triumphant victory, then we're talking about something that's not of God. We can end up finding ourselves being fully immersed in the prosperity gospel. Basically, the prosperity gospel says if you put your trust in Jesus, 
then there's an absolute guarantee that he'll bless you in your health, in your wealth, in your relationships. You'll see success in all of your life, facing no issues or no problems whatsoever. So this gospel is everything that Jesus is not. So he was, he was someone who struggled with his health, died on a cross. He had difficulties when it came to his wealth. He had no money, no place to rest his head. And of course, there were issues with his relationships. People hated him and it led to his crucifixion. But prosperity teaching is not what Paul is getting at here. What Paul is getting at here is joy in God, no matter what it is that you face in your life. Joy in Christ in every single season, in every single situation. Joy, joy, joy. So we can be overwhelmed in our lives by the most difficult of circumstances, and yet God can give us a peace that passes all understanding, a joy that makes no sense apart from Christ and the faith that we have in him. This is the reality of what Paul's looking at. And when I think of reigning in life, being more than a conqueror, always triumphant, uh, I think of Gina, Gina Wilson, who was TJ Dina and Claire's supervisor at IMB in Scotland for a number of years. And over the last year or so, uh, Gina's been treated for brain cancer. And it's not just any kind of brain cancer. It's severe. I mean, many people didn't expect her to be alive today. But praise God, she's shown through it all. She's seen this season of life. This is the third time she's had this cancer. As an opportunity to worship God. As an opportunity for joy. To put God first in all of us. Praise God, she posted on Tuesday. She's been given the all clear. Amazingly. Total miracle. But my point here is that Gina is an example of what this looks like. Aside from our healing this week, which is incredible, miraculous, amazing, and all that she has faced, she just carried this joy. If you see her Facebook feed, she's always witnessing, she's always sharing of what God has done and the difference that God has made to her and the things that she is learning through this difficult circumstance. She's carrying the most difficulty and yet often when I see Facebook and I see all the people are posting stuff, She's carrying the most joy. When I think of reigning in life, when I think of being more than a conqueror, when I think of always being led in Christ's triumph, I think of Gina. It's just such a clear example for me. And just in case you didn't realise, Gina is an ordinary human being. You know, it's not like she's a more qualified Christian than the rest of us. She's been given everything that you've been given, and yet she's responded in faith, she lives a life of joy. She understands the reality of what God has done. And, she, and so she responds in such a way that God is first in all that she says and does. And the difficulties that you're facing in your life today, whatever you're facing, God is calling you this morning to reign, to be more than a conqueror, to be triumphant. And that doesn't mean that those problems will disappear. What it means is that God will be first. God will give you joy, God will give you peace and God will teach you more of who he is and God will make you more and more like Jesus. Make sure your life is grounded in a relationship with God. The cross changes everything because it opens the door for God to love us and for us to then love God. And from that flows a life that glorifies him. So maybe you've not yet believed this morning, maybe you've not yet put your faith and trust in Jesus then we want to give you opportunity this morning to do that.
to respond in faith. As we sing, there's space here at the front. Respond to Jesus today. Turn from your sin, turn to him, and believe that Jesus has the very best for you. That you would know the difference that he can make in your life. That you would experience his love and his grace. That you would see it's not about keeping a bunch of rules. It's about a loving relationship with him. Or maybe you do love God. I would encourage you to respond and worship and to come to the table, to take the bread and to remember Christ's body that was given for you. As you break that bread, to then dip it into the cup and to remember Christ's sacrifice for each one of us. As we take this bread and drink this cup, we are declaring the cross really does change everything. So may that be true for us as we respond and worship. So let me pray and then the guys are going to lead us. Lord, we thank you for your word and we thank you, Lord, that your word isn't something that, that doesn't just um, inform us, but your word is, is something that challenges us, that has power, that can bring about real change in our lives. And we want to pray um, that we would be changed by your word uh, this morning, um, that we would come to a living faith in you or we would come to a deeper faith in you. And so, Lord, we ask that this would be true. Uh, for each one of us, that your love would be at work in our hearts and that we would respond in faith. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.